I'd like for you to turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, to a passage that uh, everybody in this auditorium probably could quote. The third chapter of Proverbs, verses 5 and 6. It's really a message to begin a new year with and uh, maybe give some help and encouragement and inspiration for the new year. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will, as the King James has it, direct your path and the near-making standard, and He will make your paths straight. Uh, last Sunday evening, about dusk, we started down uh, the mountain road from uh, Red River, headed home on snow-packed, icy highways. Now, being a, a, a flatland tourister, I'm not that accustomed to driving on treacherous snow-packed highways and so I'm having I'm you know I'm I've got a grip on the steering wheel kind of a death grip pardon the pun and as we made a uh, went around one of those hairpin curves my wife said from the back seat did you see that white cross on that big pine tree that back there <laughs> said Probably somebody had a wreck and was killed there. <laughs> and uh, that was not the most comforting uh, thing that I uh, heard from the back seat. Probably some flatland tourister uh, on uh, Christmas vacation. Well, what it did, it caused me to get a firmer grip <laughs> and to rivet my eyes on the road, for, to be sure, kind of as a warning. Christian life is kind of like that. God is always placing these white crosses of the failures, the disasters of His people to remind, to warn us that the way is dangerous and the path sometimes is treacherous and we need to be very careful. That's why the Bible is brutally honest. It does not gloss over the failures of its heroes. It paints them warts and all. And so you have the sin of David, a white cross to warn us. Here is a man after God's own heart. Could this man sin? Yes, he could. And that warning that comes there is not just a warning. It adds some veracity, some validity to the Scripture, and it serves as a warning that everybody needs to be on guard. And there are the lies of Abraham, a white cross. And there is the anger of Moses, a warning. And there is the cowardice of Simon Peter to warn us to get a firmer grip on the wheel and to rivet one's attention on the way that is before him. Because God is so intently desirous that we have a safe trip. The scripture says that he shall direct your path. It suggests divine guidance. But the New American Standard translation has a little different. It says, and he shall make your path straight. Because the authors of the New American Standard translation want us to see 
that the divine guidance of God is not like this. God is not standing somewhere far off shouting instruction as to how we're to go or standing somewhere way off pointing direction. But that God Himself is on the path preceding us, going to the situation and clearing the way as we come to it. I remind you it is as we get to it. For divine guidance is not something you can put in your pocket and keep for, for a rainy day. God doesn't say to us this morning, I'm so concerned that, that you're guided through the year that I'm going to give you divine guidance for the month of June. You put that in your pocket and refer to it when you need it. For the principle of the Bible is that God would have us live a day at a time and He goes before us into that day making the path straight, removing the obstacles when we come to them. As you've, if you've read Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom's parents were hiding some Jews in their clock shop in, in, in Holland from the Nazis. But the Nazis were suspicious and they were closing in on them. And so they just kind of come to the clock shop every day and just kind of nonchalantly visit around and, and kind of uh, uh, look around in the clock shop. One day Corey said to her father, what if they find the men we're hiding? And Corey Ten Boom's father said, Corey, where did we go last month on our trip? She said, well, we went to Amsterdam. And he said, well, how did we get there? And she said, we went by train. And he asked a kind of a third uh, foolish question perhaps, said, well, when did we get the ticket for the journey? And she said, well, on the day we left. And Corey Ten Boom's father said, well, Corey, God will give us the ticket for the journey on the day of the journey. The author of the book of Proverbs is saying that when you come to the day of the journey, you're going to find God's presence preceding you, removing the obstacle. Now before I break this text down for us, there is something obvious here I want us to recognize. And that is that this promise of divine guidance is a conditional promise, which means that God will do something if I will do something. God will guide my path, will clear the obstacle, will give divine guidance if I am willing for God to guide me. And I want you to write this principle down on the walls of your mind, never to forget it. And it's this, that divine guidance is a revelational response to man's obedience. I want to say that again. Divine guidance is a revelational response to man's obedience. When man obeys, God guides. Now I know sometimes we think, well, if God has a certain way for me to go and a certain thing for me to do, God's going to make that happen regardless of what I do. For example, God's going to meet all my needs materially. It doesn't matter how I spend my money. God's going to guide me regardless of what I do. No, that's not the truth. God will allow you to miss the way. God has given us the freedom of choice and He will allow you to suffer the consequences of a wrong choice. 
For God will do everything He can to get you to the place where He wants you to be. Everything except violate your right to choose and to seek and to decide. Don't ever, mis- don't ever fail to understand that. That if I don't meet the divinely ordained conditions to receive God's guidance, He's not going to give guidance. He's not going to pick us up by the nap of the neck and treat us like puppets regardless of our obedience. God will allow you to miss the mark and suffer the consequences of missing it. But God's desire for all of us is that we follow Him and He will clear the way and the path will be straight. Now there are two things that that are guarantees that God will guide us that well, he will make the path straight. The first is this. There is a definite principle by which I must live in order for that to happen. This is the definite principle. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. There is one great thing that God keeps trying to bring us to. One great thing that God will work a lifetime to accomplish in us. And that is that we trust Him with all of our heart. And what He's talking about is is more qualitative than quantitative. It's a qualitative trust that He's talking about. He's not saying that you can trust God here today and there today and there today, but in other areas of your life you have a problem trusting. It's not that. For example, someone might say, well, you know, I trust the Lord today with my family and in my marriage, and I trust the Lord with my salvation, my sin. But I'm just worried to death about my finances, you see. It's not a matter of trusting God over here and not trusting Him here. It's a matter of trusting the Lord with all your heart. That that word trust means to lie upon your face. It means to cast yourself totally upon the Lord and have no visible means of support. It's to have an invisible means of support. I'm trusting the Lord with every aspect of my life, trusting Him with all my heart. Trust Him earnestly. It means, secondly, that I must trust Him exclusively and lean not on your own understanding. That phrase, lean not on your own understanding, is a negative way of saying, trust the Lord with all your heart. It means that you you live on the basis of trust and faith, not on the basis of your wisdom or your reason. Now, there's some of us who think that we really trust the Lord, but we really don't. How many times this week, how many times in this day have you made a decision on the basis of your understanding or your perception or your reason? Most of the time, our decisions are made on the basis of our understanding or our wisdom. It's like the young lady who knew the Bible through and through, but she fell in love with this lost person, this lost young man. And and she knew the Bible says that we're not to yoke together with unbelievers, and yet she began to reason out, well, 
I wouldn't have this love for this young man if God didn't give it to me and God's going to work this thing out. And so she began to live on the basis of her reason. The, dif- the reason why it's so difficult to trust in the Lord with all your heart is because it means that you have to jettison your intelligence, your reason. It means that you have to throw overboard your wisdom. Now that does not mean that faith is in conflict with reason. I'm not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, Morgan, G. Campbell Morgan said, faith is not in conflict with reason, it goes beyond it. Now what I hear some preachers preach is that, that there is faith on the one hand and reason on the other hand and they're in conflict. And that you've got to be kind of stupid, you know, to believe. And if they drew a graft on the basis of that sermon, reason would go off in this direction and faith would go off in that direction. Reason and faith are not in conflict. The graft is going in the same direction, only faith goes beyond it. There are times when reason and human perception and wisdom and understanding run out of gas. It's then that faith goes on. And so the author of the book of Proverbs is saying that we're to trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding because there'll come times in your life in the future somewhere out there when intelligence and wisdom and reason run out. And what are you going to do if you don't have faith then? There is a a Peanuts comic strip. Charlie Brown is standing on the pitcher's mound and he's talking to his catcher and he says, we're getting slaughtered again and I don't know what to do. I don't understand why I have to suffer. And Schroeder, his catcher, says, man is born to trouble as sure as the sparks fly upward. And Charlie looks at Schroeder as though he were from another planet and says, What? And Linus comes in from the outfield and he says, he's quoting from the book of Job, Charlie Brown, verse 7, chapter 5. And the problem of evil and suffering is a very profound one. About that time, Lucy comes from the outfield and says, if a person has bad luck, it's because he's doing wrong. That's what I always say. And Schroeder says, that's what Job's friends said, but I doubt. And Lucy interrupts, well, what about Job's wife? She doesn't get enough credit. And Linus says, well, pain is just, a pro- just one of the problems that we have to endure in life. And Schroeder says, I think a person is never really mature unless he suffers. And Lucy interrupts, nobody wants to, stu- to suffer. That's stupid. And Linus says, anybody who talks about The book of Job and talks only about Job's patience reveals he doesn't understand much of the book. And the last frame, Charlie Brown is standing there kind of frustrated and dejected and he says, I don't have a baseball team. I've got a theological seminary. (laughs) Have you ever noticed how everybody wants an explanation for everything? A reason for everything a comprehension of everything that happens, some explanation for it. I'm here to tell you that you won't go far into this year until you're going to run head against some things that have no explanations. 
some reasons that have no answers, some questions that have no answers, it is then that a man must depend on his faith. It's kind of like the young boy I heard about, true story. His name was Buddy, and he worked 90 feet up on a platform in an oil derrick in West Texas. And one day that oil derrick was up there at that platform on the, on the derrick was covered with ice, and he slipped and plunged to his death. He would have died, would have plunged to his death, except his safety belt caught him. And he dangled there, perilously suspended between heaven and earth, and was rescued. He said to a friend after that, he said, one thing I learned from that is that I can trust God to take care of me. His friend said, have you ever fallen? Have you fallen since then? He said, oh no. He said, I always take an axe with me and some sand. And I chop away the ice if it's there and I spread sand so I'll never slip again. And the, and the friend kind of sneered and said, I thought you said you believe God would take care of you. He said, what I learned was this that I, do, I know that God does everything to take care of me if I do everything to take care of myself. Now the condition of this promise is that I'm doing everything to take care of myself. I'm trusting in the Lord with all my heart. I'm lying helplessly upon God and I'm not leaning upon my understanding, my perception, my wisdom. And when I'm doing that, when I'm in fulfilling those divine conditions of obedience to receive His guidance, I can rest assured that He guides. A definite principle by which I live. Secondly, there must be a daily practice by which I live. Now watch this carefully. He said, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. The word acknowledge means to see or to recognize, to perceive. And what he's saying is this, in all the ways of your life, recognize God. Look for God there. Perceive God in that. See God there. It reminds us that God is present in all our ways. And it denies the heresy that God is in the sanctuary, but He's not in the marketplace. Listen. He is as concerned about the, the bill you need to pay tomorrow as He is about your presence in this room today. It denies the heresy that God is concerned about the spiritual part of man, but He's not concerned about the physical and mental part of man. He is as concerned about your physical health as He is your spiritual health. We don't dichotomize life so that one over here is, is the secular and, and God is separated from that, and over here is the spiritual and God is present in that. He is present in all of our ways. It means that in my daily practice, I look for God. I say, God, I know you're in that situation. I want you to show me yourself. I want you to show me where you are and what, you, what you're teaching and what you're doing there. Show me where you are. For God has entered life at life level in all of its concreteness, and He is in all of our ways. God is concerned about everything. 
And all your ways acknowledge Him means that you live with a God reference. Let me illustrate what that means. Here is a young man who is single. And he operates from a singleness reference. That is, he goes and comes when he wants to. He, he orders his life around his desires, etc. Et One day he meets someone and falls in love. And he, his life has changed after that. He begins to, to live his life with a wife reference. Now that, that rings a bell <laughs> to some of us. No longer is he able to make his choices on the basis of singleness. He makes his choices on the basis of his spouse, his wife. Then one day he has children and he, he lives on the basis of a family reference so that he has other eyes for which he must view life. He has another will that he must consider. He has another preference that he must acknowledge. He lives on the basis of a family reference. Now watch. The man who acknowledges God in all his ways is a man who in all his ways lives with a God reference. He sees it through God's eyes and he makes his choices on the basis of that will. On the basis of that will. Acknowledging Him in all our ways means that I exercise my spiritual gifts, my gifts, my talents in the sphere of His will so that I understand that what I am and what I have received, what I have, I have received from God and I must live my life out in the sphere of His will. And if I have a, if I have a talent to sing and I sing outside the sphere of His will, I have prostituted that talent. If I have a talent for administration or leadership, and I exercise that talent and ability outside of His will, I have prostituted that talent. In my quiet time this week, I was reading from the book of Ezekiel. In the 16th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, there is this marvelous parable. Listen to this. And God told the parable through Ezekiel, the prophet. He said there was a baby born in the desert of mixed parentages. And there was no one there to wash the baby, no one there to rub it with salt, to purify it, and to wrap it in birth clothes. The baby was out in the desert on its own. And there was this wealthy benefactor, wealthy man came along and, 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 and kind of be, in, a, in an act of benevolence gave the baby its start in life. Gave it a nice home and, 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 and dressed it up and gave it advantages. And then one day the wealthy benefactor came back and married the little child, the girl born in the wilderness of mixed parentage with nothing to start with, and, and gave that little girl all of the advantages of a, of, a, of a wealthy and prosperous home life. And she grew up there, married to this benefactor. But instead of being grateful, she prostituted herself to other lovers and took the advantages she had and prostituted them. Of course, it was a parable of Israel. 
And what God is trying to teach is this, that when we take His gifts and when we take His talents and we use them or exercise them, live them out outside the sphere of His will, we are engaged in the worst kind of prostitution. If God has given me the ability to sing and I don't sing to His glory, it's the worst kind of prostitution. If God has given me the gift of life and has advantaged me and I don't live in the sphere of His will, that's the worst kind of adultery. To acknowledge Him in all our ways means that I bring God into my life so that everything I do, I do on the basis of His desire and will. And every paper I finish at school, and every day I work for my employer, and every business transaction I complete, I do it as unto the Lord. Someone said that Jesus as a young carpenter in his father's shop made every yoke perfectly because he was going, in essence, to present every yoke to the Father in the end. To acknowledge him in all our ways means that everything in my life is lived on the basis of I'm ultimately presenting that to God for his approval. There is a definite principle by which I live and a definite and a daily practice by which I live. And the result is that He goes before me and clears the path. A man was on the plane traveling across the country, a minister. And he recognized the lady sitting next to him as one of the, one of the wealthiest women in the city. He knew her by pictures and by seeing her on television. And and, and this minister just kind of um, began to visit with her a little bit. It was around this time of the year. He said, man, it must be great to be able to go into a store and buy anything you want. And she said, oh, well, he said, what's that like? (laughs) She said, oh, well, you get used to it. She was kind of uh, keen and sharp, and so she said, what is it like to go into a store and not be able to buy anything you'd like? He said, oh, well, you get used to it. And then he said, you know, I think I'd give anything just to be able to trade places with you for one day. He said, what if I decided, and and you agreed, and we just changed places for one day. Tell me what it must be like. And she got very solemn and said, let me tell you what it's like to trade places with me. She said, I've had three marriages and three bitter divorces, and I am filled with hatred. And she said, I can't sleep at night without some help. And she said, I've got to be the most miserable person on this plane. Tell me what it's like to trade places with you. He said, well, you know, he said, I'm on my way to uh, do some work in the inner city. Uh, I'm I'm engaged in a project of helping poor people out of the ghettos. 
He said, I I need to spend some time this week preparing a sermon that I'm going to deliver to a congregation that support me and love me. And he said, I've got to be the most fulfilled, happiest, happiest person on this plane. And she looked at him and said, I'd give anything in the world to trade places with you. Let me ask you, can you think of anything better than to live one day when God guides? Can you think of anything better than to live one day where God is going before you, clearing the path. Is there anything any better than that? That can happen for you today if you live by the definite principle, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways when you set the table for lunch, when you engage in conversation, when you plan for tomorrow, what you do tonight, in all your ways, you recognize Him. And that will come to pass. For divine guidance is a revelational response to your obedience. I'm going to ask you this morning in an invitation hymn to be obedient to God. I want to be able for God to put His finger on those, that place in my life unsurrendered, don't you? I want to be willing to say, God, You lead and I will follow. I will fulfill the divine, divinely ordained condition for obedience. You just direct. I will follow. There may be some of you this morning who will need to come to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You've never been saved. You've never come God's way. You may have joined the church or you may have been baptized. You may have been uh, confirmed as a child. But have you ever trusted yourself to God, leaning not on anything but Him? Come to do that today. This is the day, this would be the place to start. The time to begin. And there may be some this morning who in obedience to God would join this church because you feel led to do it or to rededicate yourself to Christ because your life is not totally obedient to Him in every area. We're going to have prayer. And after we've prayed for you, we'll invite you to come as the choir begins to sing. Join me in prayer as I lead us. Father, we thank You for the promise that Your Word has given And now I pray for the provision of obedience for us, for submission, for yieldedness. God, if there are those areas in our life that are not fully surrendered, if we live on the basis of what we know and understand, God, help us to see that and to surrender to your divine guidance. Because I pray in Jesus' name, And I ask this, that he might receive glory, whose name I pray. Now in the spirit of prayer, I'll ask you to stand.
We'll begin to sing. I'll invite you to come on the first stanza you come. <laughs>